Hey everyone, welcome back to the Food Intelligence Podcast. I'm your host, Miriam. This week, we have a really exciting repost of an episode from our friends over at the Food Tech Junkies podcast. Food Tech Junkies is a deep dive podcast series for anyone who is passionate about food and ag innovation. So looking at you, Food Intelligence Podcast listeners, this will be right up your alley. Every week, they take a 360 degree view of the latest developments in agriculture and food and pick the brains of entrepreneurs, investors, chefs, authors, experts, advocates, visionaries, and troublemakers, including our very own TasteWise CEO, Alon Chen. Alon and Sharon had a fascinating conversation about the democratization of data and what that means for our food system and especially the food system of the future. So make sure to give this episode a listen and check out Edible Planet Ventures, where Sharon is the founder and CEO. A note about Sharon, the host of Food Tech Junkies. Sharon has been at the forefront of building and growing the global food and ag tech ecosystems for the better part of a decade. She works with startups, corporations, investors, policymakers, institutions, and youth as well. And it's landed her the title of one of Forbes' most powerful women shaping the future of food. So let us know what you think of the podcast episode. It's one of our favorites, and we look forward to seeing you next time. Enjoy. Today we talk to Alon Chen, co-founder and CEO of TasteWise, the data platform the food and beverage industry uses to innovate faster, market better, and grow sales. Alon started young. He was a developer at years 12, business owner at 15, Google CMO in Israel and Greece, founder of Google Partners, and social activist for LGBTQ issues to date, as well as global lead for the World Economic Forum. In this episode, we'll dive into TasteWise platform and learn how this is just the beginning on how to democratize data towards a food system right for consumers. Ready? Here we go. Hey, Alon, how are you? Hey, Sharon, I'm great. Really excited to have this 2023 started. And you? Same, same. It's already started to take control of my life as usual, but I'm very happy to be with you. I mean, you have such an interesting life. I read that you were like a developer by the age of 12. You had your business by the age of 15. What an incredible journey. Can you tell me a little bit how everything started? Yeah, absolutely. So a little bit of shameless promotion, but of course. Uh, I was born and raised in, uh, in Israel for a low middle class family. And the first thing that my parents gave me that was a big gift was actually a computer. And I was lucky enough to be very curious and interested or maybe an introvert in my early days to challenge myself and make things work differently on my computer. And so fast forward, I was spending my days and nights with a massive English book that taught me how to develop. And that was my my first journey. And then at some point, at the age of 15, I realized that my computer is not as good anymore and I can't run the software I was developing. And so I realized that my parents can't afford getting me a new computer, but what if I can just replace a computer part? And fast forward to throughout my high school time, I basically built and sold, you know, a thousand computers and that's where my, my journey started. So it was really a problem solving aspect at the time, I was also a peace activist and LGBT rights activist. And so I had to travel and I, I needed money. And there was a way to sponsor my years through high school. Well, from lemons, you are very good in making lemonades. <laughs> the only way forward. Yeah. So 
well, and that brought you to Google, which then brought you to TasteWise. So what led you to A, work in food and, you know, fun TasteWise? Yes. So actually, the interesting thing is I was always good with computers, but I always enjoyed spending time with people more than with computers. And so early in my career, I actually joined Google. I was working on the search quality for the Hebrew and then Arabic languages. And fast forward, I I realized that there's a huge opportunity to be growing the advertising business for Google if we create a partnership program. And that's what I did. And then I spent nine years there doing all sorts of things, being the CMO for Google in Israel, in, in Greece, in all sorts of places, and then running B2B enterprise for the corporate. And that was my a really super successful and, and a great time in my life. I'm so grateful for that at a corporate that was small at the time and then grew together with me. But then when I literally bumped into my co-founder while walking the dogs in the streets of Tel Aviv, I was able to convince Eyal, my co-founder as the tech leader taste-wise, that actually there is such a meaningful and big problem in the world that is actually disrupting consumers' lives. And at the time, it was from a very personal perspective that all of my friends and family are changing their diets every other week. And it's creating a lot of friction when we're coming and trying to gather around food. If my mom is making a Shabbat dinner or I'm inviting together with my husband a few friends for dinner, we can't figure it out because we don't know what they're going to eat and not mm-hmm. And so that's that was the inception and the beginning of TasteWise. It was, how do we understand what people are eating and drinking so we can bring them more around food? And then very quickly, we realized that there is a $10 trillion industry out there, the food industry. Mm-hmm. And out of it, there's a lot of manufacturers who are really struggling to understand consumers. Yeah. Or basically, they're still relying heavily on surveys, focus groups, static data and reports, retail data that is too too, too late, too slow mm-hmm. to understanding consumers. And then we said, wow, 90% of what they invent fails. Can we look, can we take AI? Can we tap into all of the digital eating and drinking behaviors from social, from menus, from restaurant, from recipes, and predict and be able to give these organizations the real-time data they need to come up with products that consumers actually need and want, and not just, you know, 90% failure rate. So we're trying to bridge between what consumers really want and need and and what the industry is providing them. There's still a, a massive gap, but we're on the journey to improve that. Well, there is a lot to unpack from what you just said, both on innovation and on the market itself, because when you started, you were sort of a pioneer, one of the first in doing this kind of work. Let's take these two things. How did you see the market evolve? And so consumers being more conscious and how did, let's say, how your company evolved with the market? Yes. Yeah, so early on, it was late 2017, early 2018. We had to go around the market and, and tell people what, why what they're doing is not the right way. You know, we had to challenge and really kind of shake up. I remember, you know, very vividly flying to the U.S., speaking to really senior executives who knew that what they're doing is the wrong thing. But still, we couldn't find another way. And so we had to convince them that there is a new way. There is a new methodology that will get their teams so much closer to consumer and to a higher success. So the journey was really all about taking, you know, one by one, taking their traditional 
dated, outdated, mm-hmm. slow, incomplete methodologies, and, and slowly unveil and unpack and understand what is it that we can offer them that can help their success rate go up. And that there was, you know, the, the first days were were so exciting. It was very thoughtful, very open and and candid conversation. And this is something that really I think is unique about the food industry specifically. I worked with many industries throughout my career, but in the food industry, people are so kind and nice. Yeah. And they really are, you know, so consumer-centric and really are passionate in solving the problems that the industry has. We know there are so many jewels and collateral damage from the, the food industry, and there's a lot of openness to fix things. Sometimes it's slower than they want, and we all want, but often it's with a lot of good intent and, yeah. and will to actually disrupt and rethink. Well, it's true, and a lot more collaborative than other areas, less competitive, yeah. if you will. So uh, from 2017 till now, obviously, your company evolved. How did it shape throughout the years? So early in the days, you know, it was about trying to understand what are the right methodologies to understand consumers and consumption. That was the first phase. Like, you know, it's fascinating to think we're working in the future of food, right, category. And we're basically an enterprise solution that helps the largest uh, food brands out there to get closer to consumers and come up with, with innovation. So the first time was like, how do we understand consumers in a very real-time way so we can actually reshape and change our processes internally as a food brand to adapt? So that was the first part. Because coming up with innovation, you know, what is the next indulging afternoon snack mm-hmm. that is also low-carb, low-sugar, and, and functional, right? Maybe it's good for your health and gut. How do you understand that this this is what needs to happen and that there is a market for that? That was the first years of TasteWise. Let's find in real time what are household buyers, students, techies, moms, you know, Gen Z. What is it that they need? What is it that they're missing? That was the first part. And was it done through like social media? So how we do it is, is I'll get to it in a minute, but hmm. the interesting part was that we first started with what is next for them? What are the NPD, new product development products that, that they need to create? But then we realized that maybe they don't need to create anything new. Maybe something they already have can be put into in front of the right consumer and contextualizing the right moment of consumption. And, and it's actually going to solve consumers a problem. Let's, let's say that you have a, a chicken stock powder and it can be extremely useful for making not just only soup, but also stir fry and maybe flavoring other dishes you have. You just need to find out what is it that consumers do today. Maybe they're creating a new veggie bowl, right? Mm-hmm. A poke bowl or whatever it is. And the flavoring could actually enhance their experience. So that was how we started to realize that it's not just about creating new things. It's also about recontextualizing. But then we said, even if you have a new product, let's say it's an amazing plant-based snack that let's say it's a it's a chocolate bar and it's low sugar it's it's very indulging and you think it's the it's with the right flavor right let's say it's it comes with one of my recent latest favorites is ube mm-hmm. you know tender sweetness but very purple you add it to any dessert and it creates a filipino origin by the way and if you take this product, it can be as amazing as, as it is. And you created it with the best food science and the best novel ingredients, but still 
no one knows about it or you put it in front of the wrong people or maybe yeah. you know retailers didn't give you the right shelf space or you can't get it into the right convenience stores because you couldn't convince the shelf manager, the category manager to give you the space. And you didn't do the right marketing campaigns to actually generate the demand for consumers. So, you know, if, if you're, if you're getting it by now, it's like creating a new product is great, but making sure it's packaged in the right way. It's placed on the right shelf. You create the right demand behind it with consumers coming and choosing it at the first moment of truth that is as important as creating the right product. And this is where we've, we've evolved into. It's like, how do you take your product and you're telling a great, compelling story to the right consumers and to the right shelf managers to give you the opportunity? Yeah. And you know what, Sharon, what surprised us is that it doesn't matter if you're a small manufacturer or food brand or big, it's still as hard to get this shelf space these days. And so yeah. that was the second. And, and, you know, over the years, we also realized that, you know, getting shelf space is important, but getting a spot on the menu in restaurants is as important. So we're now, we're moving from just like providing you insights about consumers to helping you grow your business by inventing new products, bring them into in front of the right consumers at the right time at the retail space, and also generating demand at the food service level, which is becoming a big play for a lot of the brands out there, you know, plant-based namely, but not exclusively. Well, that's super interesting because unlike other sectors, whether it's the pharmaceutical sector, once you have a product, I mean, aspirin is aspirin, you can call it something else, but those ingredients are the same, whether it's in the US or in Asia. Food is not like that. Food is cultural. Every country has its own cuisine, its own taste and spices. So what you're doing in a way, it's really helping that right company in that right place identify what's working for them, right? and not something that is just like, this will work anywhere. Absolutely, you know, contextualizing your product line and your brand to the consumer is, is a very difficult heavy lifting. So here's the thing, right? The food industry is very complex by nature because of the production. You know, you need to mm -hmm. source raw ingredient. You need to come up with the right production. Food safety is a big thing. And then packaging and then managing the whole supply chain where weather is fluctuating, commodity prices, prices are changing constantly more than before. And then at the same time, consumers also are not as stable they, because they challenge the status quo constantly. And especially the newer generation, the younger generations, they are not like, you know, the older generation where there's like 100 SKUs and that's it. No, they keep trying, you know, new things all the time and you have to be on your toes. And so, yeah, absolutely. Contextualizing for different geographies. We currently support 27 markets for, for a lot of our, and some, the rest of it is in the larger markets. So the US, UK, Canada, Australia, France, Germany, Brazil, and, and, you know, we're expanding as we go to address and to catch up with the, with the demand from the market, but yeah, understanding the consumers and and the demand in the, the industry. So it's not about just the consumer, it's about is, is there something that really generates demand and how can I tap into that? And if you know, you, you asked before, 
the data sources are extremely important, but the way you process the data is as important. So, mm-hmm. you know, there is competition all over, but the smart organizations, when they procure a new solution, they they go very deep, yeah. extremely deep into the, the diligence. And when they look at the, you know, the quality of the data, the precision of the data, the ease of the ease of use, it's an important component for them that, you know, you have a global solution and you're not just supporting the U.S. and then the team in France will need a, a, a different solution. So the, the data is extremely important. How fast it refreshes is extremely important. Is it statistically significant is extremely important. And is your technology really understanding the moment of consumption in a, in a granular way, the way, you know, you and I look at someone eating something and we know you know, what's happening there. And we can ask them a question and they'll, you know, they report back and we know how to process it. Mm-hmm. And we need to teach the algorithm to do the same on billions of data points and then bring it all together to you to make decisions faster. Absolutely. And from then to today, well, now we hear a lot talking about digital twins, for example. Obviously, the role data is having, I think, on our whole food system is really crucial what are some things that you believe are crucial that are happening today or that will happen, let's say, soon and that people should know around data? Mm-hmm. So first, there is a notion called garbage in, garbage out when it comes to data. So what goes into the algorithm, the data set, is what determines the, the quality and the result on the other side. If you're giving your team a new tool, and you didn't check the quality of the data, it's actually failing the entire organization. Mm-hmm. So it has to be very cautious. You have to go with with a, the solution providers that are already working with the large multinationals that have validated that it's a good solution. Like, you know, we're working with PepsiCo and Nestle and Mars, to name a few of out of many. And they go through this process of making sure that, you know, this is, we say kosher, but, it, you know, in that... <laughs> it's kosher. <laughs> it's actually good. We check our data science team, you know, looked it through. And the, so that's one thing. The second thing is the, the frequency of update, you know, going into the fine prints. A lot of solutions say, oh, we update, you know, monthly. But when you go down and you're like... No, you actually update a very small part of your data set monthly, but then the rest is updated once a year because you do it all manually. And mm-hmm. that is a big flow in your in your process when it comes to data. So second thing is, is uh, the data freshness. The third thing is how do you connect the data sets? There is organizations are drowning with data. There is way too much data. And so the important thing is actually to make sure that you're using the right data and you're connecting the dots. And so that's the third, right? Can I connect between one of the TasteWise's really very unique selling propositions is that we look at 1.2 million menus in the U.S. every single month. Mm-hmm. Some of them every single week, but all of them every single month, including the most important restaurants for innovation, which is mm-hmm. local restaurants. So if you really want to know the trends, don't go after the, the top restaurant chains and operators. Because yeah. they're great. It's important to know what's on their menu. But if you really want to know, go after the local restaurants and the chef-driven restaurants and make sure that you're not just looking at a sample. Make sure that you're looking at 100% of the picture. Yeah. That will actually make your decision so much more robust. And so when it comes to data, the smart organizations 
they ask you very tough questions and they are not settling on you know the marketing headline it's actually they do truly want to understand and that is it's an exciting thing for us right maybe the process takes a little bit longer but then we know that there is a great match and that the other side is fully aware of the benefit of leveraging real time extremely comprehensive statistically significant with cutting edge ai that does not exist any anywhere out there and the last thing it's less about the data. It's more about the application. Mm-hmm. The data is there. You know, in many of organizations, there's so much data. But the important thing is the tool helping you find something you wouldn't find on your own. Or is yeah. the tool helping you make decisions faster? So Sharon, we, you know, in the, five years ago, if you ask me, what is it that we do? What is it that we provide the organization with? Well, I would tell you, you know, we're trying to help them tap into trends and get their product line up to speed. What I understand today is that we're helping them move faster. And moving faster is not just because we told them that Ube is rising and this is the next innovation flavor for dessert and confectionery. It's because we're providing them with data that is relatable, that is explainable, that they can show in a board discussion Uh and fully internalize and comprehend what is in front of them and not just get a random stat that says, oh, 60% of people said they would buy this product, which we know is a lie, right? We know that. And that's been one of the biggest challenges for the industry, relying on what we call reported behavior. People telling you what they think or what they want after you ask them a question. We believe that the future of the data in our industry is observed behavior, is what do people buy? How do they cook? And, and that is an extremely complex AI and data science challenge that TasteWise has been solving in the past four, five years. Wow, super interesting. I think you explained it very well, but I think a lot of big companies, as you said, they have massive amounts of data. And one thing that I've often heard people say is we really want to use data better. So how do we really become a data-driven company? Because you have the data, but it's how you use this, I think, very hard. And yeah. in your sector, that's you're really helping them through that. Absolutely. You know that it's the key element is to be able to understand your organization and tailor the solution around it. So the data is only as, as good as the process around it and, and the way it's visualized. And the way we're helping you just democratize data inside mm-hmm. organizations. So it's not just for the consumer insights and consumer intelligence teams. It's also for the marketing teams and the category teams and and maybe even for the sales teams, like our latest solution. And then you're creating this data mode that makes your organization a lot more resilient, mm-hmm. a lot more agile, which are concepts that we're taking from the tech world and not necessarily the food world, but they're as important and critical for success. And throughout history, many companies just completely disappeared because they weren't able to understand that something meaningful in the world changed and they need to rethink. And it's not always good to be linear. And we're at the age of chat GPT. You know, we've been using this, you know, these models like for a while now. And if you're not adopting this, you belong to the past and you may not be in the future. And that is so central and pivotal in this, in the moment. And you remind me that five years ago, it was actually very pioneering to be talking about predictive analytics for consumer intelligence. Mm -hmm. 
and and you know what a journey it is and still is so the more the merrier we we say you know it takes a whole village to educate a new industry and and we're we're very excited that um that there's a lot of inbound demand coming these days and and it's very encouraging. Uh, you definitely grew a lot which is good what are some of the bigger trends that you're seeing in your work you know, it's interesting. You're asking me about bigger trends and, and immediately I, I want to say something about food trends and diet trends. But actually, I want to take it to a different direction because I think that that the bigger trend we're seeing is how the all the organization, the, how the, the, the food system, ecosystem is changing. Mm-hmm. I'll give you an example. You know, not long ago, we were sure that the most important thing is really to find a new food trend. Mm-hmm. And what we're understanding today is that the most important thing is to make sure that once you find it out, you're able to communicate it internally in a way that will actually bring to a faster decision and then production. What we're seeing today is, for instance, another trend. We're seeing that a lot of the market research and consumer intelligence and big data and, and data acquisition strategies were about professional services and outsourcing. Mm-hmm. It means that you go to an agency, you go to the consulting firm, you tell them what your product is, you tell them what your problem is, you tell them what your dreams are, and then they come up with a solution for you. Mm-hmm. Or you go to an agency and you tell them what you want to research, they come up with a survey, they filled it, hopefully to the right people, they come back with a result. And these two examples are processes that take you three to six months. Yeah. And that's used to be historically where organizations or food brands spend most of their resources and time on. What we're seeing today is an acceleration to what it's called DIY, do it yourself. Mm-hmm. So instead of going to someone that will give you a fish or sell you a fish, you're going and you're getting a software or a solution or a technology that helps your team fish. Now, if going to buy a fish would take you like a minute, maybe you shouldn't be learning how to fish. But in this case, it's taking them six months to of go course. and fish. So they have to learn how to fish. And how to fish today is, is having your team with the tools and methodologies that they can answer questions today and they can see what the state of their consumer and their industry and category today. And and that is, you know, the biggest trend that I'm, I love talking about in the past year because it's, it's the most important trend because the trends are always changing, you know? Yes. The different flavors of culinary trends are changing. We know that when you're talking about trends, there is the culinary trends and there is the claim or deep human motivation claims. The deep human motivation claims are not changing so fast. Health trends, they're there to stay, right? How do you solve it? What's the application is changing? Is it of with with a chia, right? Or is it with moringa or is it with ashwagandha? The application changes, the ingredient changes, but then the claim is... So I don't know if it answers your question, but the biggest trend is that organizations are moving to DIY. Organizations are realizing that they need to understand the consumer today, that the organizations need understand they need to democratize data across the organization. So the salesperson going to knock on a restaurant door to sell them your solution, maybe it's a plant-based eggs. But whatever it is, it really makes them understand what they're selling. Exactly. So they know what they're selling. And more importantly, they can help their customers 
succeed. Because if they tell them, you know what, you're doing this omelet sandwich all wrong, because look what's happening around you. And this is the data to support that people wanted differently is actually going to, to make sure that they're bringing value that is way more than just the plant-based eggs. And of that course. increases the success rates. I mean, obviously technology innovation is very fast these days. In 10 years, where do you think AI will be, if you had to guess? So here's the thing, right? If you're thinking about today already, like how much, how much is AI part of the consumer decision, right? Or, or, or part of the change that is happening in the industry, I can tell you it's already massive. And I'll give you a couple of examples that will bring it to life. For instance, last year, there were so many trends that caused massive shortages in products on the shelf. For instance, the feta cheese macaroni or pasta, right? Mm -hmm. The oven. It was a trend that resulted in like lack of feta cheese throughout the nation in the U.S., so I love to say that AI is already changing the food industry. All the health trends, people are fed with so many influencers and thought leaders. Sometimes it's, you know, fake news. Sometimes it's not yes. reliable. So we have to be very, but it's still changing behavior. So mm -hmm. that is already there. When you're opening up your food delivery app and you're hungry for dinner, what comes up first is already decided and judged by AI. So already, when you're browsing the web and you're getting exposed to different ads, it's already changing the way you consume. And so I think that AI is already changing and is changing what people are eating and drinking. And there is a lot of impact to that. I think if we are looking at the future, it's clear that the food industry will turn into the hyper-personalized era. Whether first, we know that food is a very personal thing. So if you drink coffee, it may be good for your heart. If I drink coffee, it may be bad and fatal for my heart. So you know, using AI that will create a feedback loop that tells you know what's good for me, what's not good for me, or in my lifestyle, maybe we have the same DNA, but I am way more active, right? Of course. Like, Exposed to the sun, I live in Tel Aviv, it has, it has a lot of impact on us. So there's going to be a lot more personalization on like what's good for you, what's not good for you. And then obviously it will impact what's out there and what we create. And, and obviously it's clear that a lot of the food we've been uh, consuming is overly processed and mm -hmm. uh, to be a lot moderate. There's a lot of concepts around intermittent fasting and how it's critical for our body to be in a little bit of starvation mode to be able to kill maybe the viruses that are getting in. So I think that it's clear that this is going to be 100% feedback loop into what we're eating and drinking to know if it's good for us or not. And it's for, for the kind of life outcomes that we're wishing for ourselves. Maybe we want to be great athletes. So maybe we just want to increase our brain activity. So that that is, you know, big part. And I think everything will revolve around that. But then if you go back all the way to the... Deciding on farming, what mm -hmm. to harvest, how, what quantities of, you know, which corp do we need to put in to get to the right amount and equilibrium of, of lack of wastage. And then all the way in the process, AI is going to transform everything from deciding what to, to grow and then the prices of, of our commodities and then production lines. 
will have to be a lot more agile. Maybe they will remain in factories and maybe there will be home devices mm-hmm. that are solving our dinner on the spot with, with less preservatives and then all the way to the marketing and sales. And maybe already today you can program your fridge to buy cream cheeses when you're running out of one. So I think that it will start with a... I promised myself that I will have to bring it up as often as I can, that all these trends are impacting first the ones who are privileged yes, and, and have access. And unfortunately, the vast majority of this world is not as privileged. And, you know, food safety, clean water is still like a privilege. So obviously it will start with a more developed world. And within that, with the communities and people that have access to, to uh, yeah, resources, resources. social economics, and then obviously, hopefully, it will trickle down to the rest of the world. Absolutely. Do you think that we need to shift, and also there needs to be policy change to accommodate what's happening, I guess, in data and AI in our food system, or no? Yeah. So. It's a great question. It's clear that any type of technology and most almost anything in the world can be used for good and used for bad, right? Mm-hmm. I think that the most important thing is to educate consumers and educate people about their choices, about the data they're getting, about what's fake news and what's real news, what's real data and what's fake data. And so this is an important component. And the more AI is going to be prevalent and we're seeing it's all over now, within a few months, Everyone has been trying generative AI, and this is mind-blowing, and it's an amazing thing. On the other hand, it's clear that what we consume has a lot of impact on us as society, on our exposure, on health, on our productivity, and so on. And it is essential that we come up with the right ethics, whether it is regulation or consortium that actually decide what's, what's a good use, what's bad use. But I do think that consumers today can be very powerful. Absolutely. And I think that with the increased options that they have today under their hands, if companies are going to misuse, um, they may not survive. So I think there's a part of educating the consumer. There's part of coming up with what is the right and, and, and wrong doing. And then I think that we will find a balance. If yeah. AI is creating new things, we can find out with AI if the AI is doing bad things. So I think it's going to be maybe potentially easier for consumers to make this judgment. And there's going to be a self-enforcing. Companies are not going to be behaving nonsense and, and going against consumers. Makes sense. You can see all of the positive innovations around our food system. And you can see the negative, for example, hackers. And then, I mean, I think with other industries, the power that AI has, for example, in Facebook during presidential elections, right, which is not something that we heard a lot before. So I think that's a sort of an interesting conundrum, how to regulate something that it's so beneficial, but some maybe few can use badly, right? And we're going towards a world that we will need to educate even more. We will need uh, to be careful. The metaverse is coming. There's a lot of things coming. How do we make sure that people on the other end of that phone or screen understand the power that they have? That's, you know, my little ethic. (laughs) 
<laughs> my little ethic questions that come up during the day. And you've done a lot of work before when we started. Obviously, you are still an activist, correct? I am. I'm trying my best. I used to be <laughs> active being an entrepreneur. It's putting you in a stretch and time is not always an essence, but I've always been behind the scenes doing peace activism, Israeli-Palestinian conflict. So I'm part of a forum called BTI, Breaking the Impasse by the World mm. Economic Forum. And I'm always involved with local and European level LGBT activism policy. And I think it's like uh, making sure everyone has rights. And I think that as long as we don't understand that we should all be equal and we will be left behind and some minorities are not going to get access and then nobody's equal. And then there's always going to be a lot of unfortunate and, and biased and, uh, and discrimination out there. So we have to accept human beings for who they are. Yes. And we still have got to try and do the work to change it for the better, especially with whether it's discrimination. I feel um, even in the most privileged nations, if you take the U.S., for example, it's like there's four different countries. You have a lighted democratic way all the way to two deserts where there's no access at all to complete hate. Communities where all they do is hate. So it's a very divided world. It's definitely a, a challenge. And that is the world we're living today. It's, it's very fragmented. Before you sort of talked about the do-it-yourself. <laughs> and it's like, in a way, this fragmentation leads, I think, a lot to the do-it-yourself, right? I learned to, to do things myself through what I read. And, and that's another thing. How do we educate people to do it right and not just listen to fake news in general? other conundrum that I often think about. Yeah, I'm an optimist. And I, I think, yeah, we have to be conscious and judgmental and critical to what's happening around us. But I also believe in the good and optimism and positivity. And that it's the only way forward, right? Yes. Um, and it's our responsibility as leaders to make sure that, yeah, we are flagging the challenges and the risk. But at the same time, we're optimistic and we're showing people why the positive and the good is, is the right one. So absolutely. absolutely. So uniting your activism to your food system leadership and things that you're doing today. What does your day look like? So, you know, the most important thing for me is to spend as much time as possible with my team and make mm -hmm. sure that they're empowered to make the right decision. And then at the same time, making sure that I'm out there in the industry, meeting customers and partners to see what their challenges today and what are the challenges for tomorrow and the day after tomorrow. And I spend my time between our different offices in Tel Aviv, in New York, in Chicago, and many visits to Europe. So actually half of my time I'm traveling. traveling. Yes. And for the rest, I'm trying to spend time with my husband, with my family. And so I believe in like work hard, play hard mantra as long as we can before kids. So Absolutely. that's my day to day. And I love, I love my, obviously my country and my city. It's been very good to me. Well, I think you live in probably one of my favorite cities in the world. So with one of the best climates, at least for me right now where it's here, it's cold. 
I'm with you. <laughs> so what's next for you? Whether taste-wise, what are you see coming up? So, you know, our effort and our dream is to become an operating system for the industry that brings the industry very close to consumers and what they need and want and making sure that their increased productivity, maybe moving the industry from 90% failure rate, 100 success rate, will mean that a lot more people can get food and beverage to work for them and for their needs in their day-to-day, for their health, for their all needs. And hopefully with that lower cost and making sure that good food, healthy food is actually way more available across the world. You know, it's a big mission. We're not, uh, we're only getting started. And so one of the things I love encouraging my teams to think of is like, how do we take what we have and we give that to organizations, companies, and people that we we will not be able to support or work with directly. And so big part of what we're doing is to democratize data. Mm-hmm. So if you're searching for pasta trends, pizza trends on Google, you will end up at a TasteWise page that gives you information that was never available for you before. Mm. And so democratizing data is an important element in our effort because it will not be possible with just TasteWise. It will be a whole lot of us that need to come together and push the agenda. And this is our little contribution. So we're only getting started. There's so much more to be done. We're trying to open source some of our data and insights to make this industry move forward. I don't know, maybe before you spoke about consortium, uh, do you see that as something that we will have soon? Sort of a group of like-minded individuals like yourselves working together to sort of better shape our food system? So I think it's already happening. As you said, there's so much collaboration in the food industry and people are trying to help each other regardless Mm -hmm. of their commercial intent and interest. So I think it's already happening. A lot of the change it's been pushing, the rise of the plant-based and animal-free protein is a big massive collaboration that many people come together you know we meet each other in person as well in this context so i think it's already happening maybe there is no umbrella name or like formal but what's formal today is it needed to make a change i guess not right so i think that's already happening in one way shape or form Uh, i think that the private versus public is Mm -hmm. fast moving and has the ability to make more him impact faster. Not to say that the collaboration between private and public is not needed, right? It is the way our work, our world works. So we have to. But I think that what's happening already with the private is extremely inspiring, and I'm very humble and happy to be part of it. So, but I'm open if if anyone picks up the task. I'm happy to consider and up push and provide the right data to to make the right decisions. Perfect. Um, We're out of time. So if people want to get in touch with you, learn more about TasteWise, where should they look? Your website, LinkedIn, you tell me. Yeah, tastewise.io is our website and you can get a lot of value for free. And I'm available on LinkedIn. So, you know, look me up, Alon Chen, TasteWise. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Sharon. And see you soon. Life. Want to dive deep into food innovation? Subscribe to the Food Tech Junkie series. 
Tune in and listen to the industry's champions whose mission is to reinvent our future by collaborating and disrupting the status quo as a way to rebalance our planet in our daily lives. For more great content, visit our website at www.edibleplanetventures.com and follow us on social media on the Edible Planet Ventures channels.